Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello again. It's yet another episode of the AJ Bruno Show. Today I'm joined by Erin Ryder. She's a television host and investigator. And we'll be discussing some of the work she's done and some of the paranormal phenomenon surrounding that. And let's get her on the line now. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. So uh, to get started, I'm curious, is there a story uh, behind going by just your last name? I grew up playing sports in upstate New York, and very early on, uh, the coaches and players would just call me by my last name. It just became kind of a a thing. And uh, when I first moved out here, everyone, because I I moved out from New York, everyone called me Aaron. And then slowly but surely, it just started, honestly, it just started happening. People would just do it. Um, and by the time I met Josh, everyone around the office had already called me Ryder. So it just, it made sense to just go by that. Cause that's what everyone was calling me. Huh. So before you met him and we'll get to that show and everything, um, how and when did you decide you wanted to pursue hosting and, and journalism with an adventurous twist to it? I, it actually found me. I went to graduate school for, uh, producing. I went to Syracuse to study television, radio, and film. And I was quite fond of, of, of having a role behind the camera. And when I first met Josh and, and Casey and Brad, who ran Ping Pong Productions, who uh, helped develop Destination Truth, they were looking to bring on a, um, a co-host to be out in the road with Josh, but they also wanted someone that was a producer that could help run the show while we were out there. So they started talking to me about it, and I was like, well, I'm a massive sci-fi nerd. Um, I, I, I grew up with a family that believed in UFOs, ghosts. It, it just, it was like in my blood. Uh, and so it was just a really easy choice to say yes and, and go out. I, I was also a massive travel buff. And, and so kind of throwing myself out there just felt really natural, but it wasn't something that I sought out to do. It just kind of happened. And that was in 2008. And since then, um, I've done quite a few shows outside of even Destination Truth, which has been really fun and exciting to kind of blend what I love to do behind the camera with the investigative kind of nature of what I've, I've kind of started to do and continued to do for the past 10 years. Great. So before we get into that, I read that one of your first gigs was working for the Olympics for NBC in Athens. How did you end up doing that, and what was that whole experience like? I honestly was the – that was like stumbling upon luck, on luck, on luck. I, oh. um, when I first got out of graduate school, I got an internship at NBC. Uh, I was working in the sports division, and they needed some help um, with NBC Olympics, which was they were kind of starting their own division there because Olympics was becoming such a massive component for them. So I was helping with the 2010-2012 bid for the Olympics because networks actually bid the Olympic Committee to be able to air the Olympics. I was working on that, 
and they were putting a team together for Athens. Uh, they needed some help, so uh, I joined them. Uh, in Athens, I actually worked on the Open to the Olympics and then what we call bumps and cheeses as well, putting a bunch of different packages together. So I was in Athens for, for almost two months in 2004, and you don't really don't get to actually go to a lot of the events because I was working the night shifts, but I did get to see a few things. Um, but it was probably the biggest thing I ever thought I'd be able to produce as early as, as, and, and as young as I was in the business. That's great. So you mentioned Destination Truth. Uh, how did you first get involved with that whole production company, and how did that show first you know, come to fruition? I actually, I met Casey and Brad who own the company and who were helping run the show at the time. I met them because I was coming in to potentially produce the season before mine, um, which was season one. I was going to come in and help work in post, um, but they, I ended up taking a job and it traveled me around the world and I didn't end up working on it, but they remembered me and they wanted to introduce me to Josh. And the first time we met, we sat down and it was you know, like we'd known each other for years and years. And it was just such an obvious fit um, for, for me to join them and, and, and go on the road. I was a little bit nervous because I hadn't really done anything on camera. Um, but Josh is like, you, you'll be fine. Um, you know, just, um, you know, don't mess up. And uh, I, I think I messed up a bunch of times, but I think that's what makes it so fun and is just how authentic it is and how we really, you know, we kind of get on like brother and sister out there. Same with the whole team. Everyone's a family on the road. So with some of these shows, there are certain, I guess, scenarios that are kind of staged. Was that the case at all with that show or not really? No, certainly not. I think, yeah. you know, there's difficulty in working on. So, so Destination Truth was basically two 30-minute episodes kind of mashed up into an hour. And so what you're trying to do is create an entertaining series that people want to watch, but you're trying to do best by the content. Um, you have a timeline. You have a budget. You only have a certain amount of days allotted to shoot. Um, and, and so there's times where you feel like you're right on top of something great, but we had to leave and fly out to our next location. Uh, so there's a benefit of doing a series like this where you get to look into so many cases, but you can't always delve as deep as you want to go. Uh, so there was just a lot of factors that you go up against, but certainly there was nothing ever staged with what we did. Um, you know, the situation we put ourselves in were actually pretty dangerous. Um, you know, we were fighting against, you know, all sorts of, of, of different, um, you know, issues while, while trying to make something um, really, really powerful and, and really investigative. But certainly, no, I, I don't think we needed to. There was, there, was plenty, there was plenty to go on. There was more that hit the cutting room floor on that show than a lot of other shows that I've ever done. Well, what are some of the things that were left out that you thought really should be in there? Certainly not on the, 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 you know, in evidence. We really wouldn't leave anything really powerful behind. And if there was something that we felt really good about, we'd always put it up on uh, the website or we'd talk about it in, you know, maybe an after show or um, in other ways. But it would, be, it would be scene work. It would be how hard it really was to get to these locations or really showing you how long we were at these locations. Like it looks like we're there, you know, just overnight and we weren't. In some of these places we were there, you know, sometimes three nights and you're condensing that into you know, one overnight segment. And, you know, once you're in green, once you're in night vision, it just feels like it goes by so quickly. I think it was, I, I mean, if we really put an episode together of what we shot, which would be, you know, sometimes three, four, even five days, if we jam pack that in, I mean, you could have a, a three hour special on some of the really cool, interesting people that we met, the stories that we would hear, um, the places that we would go. 
you know, I think um, great. I think we, we found a real kind of synchronicity in what we did, but certainly to do that, you had to kind of get as much as possible and then condense it down. Mm-hmm. So you co-hosted and produced both that show and Chasing UFOs. So what was it like taking kind of a double duty on, on both of that, and how did you balance that? Easier on Destination Truth, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Josh is a phenomenal producer, and he knows what he wants, and it was very collaborative. So we would sit in these meetings, and, and we would just kind of hash everything out best we could ahead of time, talk to these fixtures um, internationally, and really by the and, and we sent field producers out ahead of time. So by the time we got boots on the ground, we almost had you know, at least the bare bones of what we were going to do kind of mapped out, which was really great and, and, and fantastic. And, and Josh and I work really well together. So that being a producer was hard at night when you got home and you're really tired and you just wanted to go to bed, but you'd have to go through all the notes from the day, put everything together, send emails, be prepping for the location ahead of time. So sometimes it was just, it was like almost like a, a, a job on top of a job. So if you, if you work for 12 hmm. hours, you still had another probably three or four when you got home, which was which made it difficult. Uh, but at the same time, it was just kind of part of the job. With chasing UFOs, um, Ben and James, who are absolutely fantastic, James being you know, a consummate professional, and Ben really, really talented. But there was just so many aspects of that that we were just kind of figuring out as we as we went. You know, by the time destination truth was really kind of cooking we we had a formula and we knew what we were doing when we were out there a season one of a show is really difficult finding your footing um you know blending relationships finding out what's enough investigation plus you know eyewitnesses plus experts it's 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 a tough formula to really kind of find and ufos in general is hard because you know you talk to networks and they want entertainment and they want you to go out there investigate and find things we all know You could sit out for weeks and weeks and never see something. And so we weren't manufacturing anything ever, but there would be so many times where we'd put in a cut to the network and they'd be like, well, you didn't find anything. It's like, no, there wasn't anything to find. We were were there for three nights and and literally nothing happened. It just nothing happened. So I think it's tough to deliver on things, you know, and, and especially, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with, with, with Grant from Ghost Hunters and, and, um, you know, some of the other really talented guys. And, and it's tough when you take something really investigative, something that you're, you know, you really want to do well, and then try to make it entertaining, because there's concessions that you have to make. And it's tough, because you, you never want to fake anything, you never want to do anything. But there's just little things that happen where you just kind of feel like, Mm, I, I wouldn't have done that if, if it was just if it was just for us. Like if it was just us on an investigation, I probably would have sat there longer or did this or did that. So it's just little things that you kind of have to deal with when you're working with, you know, a larger network that is the one paying for you to do it. <laughs> sure. Speaking of the network, so uh, Destination Truth lasted five seasons. Did they give you a specific reason for ending that or how did that kind of come to a close? That was a real shame. Uh, they, and in fact, it's, it's, it was five seasons, but we did half seasons. So it was like season two, season two and a half, season three, season three and a half. So, it's, so we really almost lasted at that point. It was like, you know, but by the end of it, we had done nine seasons um, in our eyes. They were going a different direction. Sci-fi has, every network has this rebranding that they do, right? Someone new comes in and they have an idea that they're going to, 
you know, flush things out and bring in new eyes or they're going to revamp things. And at that time, you know, we had seen sci-fi go from S-C-I-F-I to S-Y-F-Y. And again, they were trying to rebrand themselves and they wanted to do something different. And they felt like, you know, this, this, this show was part of that older kind of brand that they had. And so they, they, they put it to bed, which was really a shame because we're finding so many more new fans now that it's airing on the Travel Channel alongside Expedition Unknown. So many more people are finding us as if it's the first time they've ever seen it and, and writing me and saying, oh, my gosh, where do we find more? When, when are you going to shoot again? Um, it, was, it, was, it was sad for us. I think, you know, obviously, you know, Josh and I had, had grown a lot from then, and what he's doing on Expedition Unknown really makes him, him very happy. But certainly if, if we were, and I joked about this a million times, if we were to pick up, um, you know, and start again, it would be as if no time had passed at all. Like, I think we would pick up, you know, exactly where season, you know, five ended and we'd, you know, kind of go off on these adventures all over again. It'd be fantastic. But I just don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. No, it would be nice if they brought some of these shows back. Another one I liked on Sci-Fi Channel was uh, Factor Fake Paranormal Files. That one was good, too, and they only lasted, I think, two seasons. So it's a shame. That one was great. That one was great. Yeah. Jael, Ben... You know, those, those guys are, are, are really talented people, and it was a fun concept. It was doing things differently. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple that, you know, we were, we were sad to see go and not be brought back. I think there's other shows out now that are really exciting and fun and filling the space for me, but certainly I liked being a part of it. I, I'm working on a few things now um, that kind of, you know, feel a little bit more, um, you know, kind of newer uh, whereas I think that's great. I like to see where this programming's going. You can't always do things the same way. And I, I like that, that everyone's kind of, you know, putting new blood into these concepts because they're fun and, and people are interested and, and, and want to see more. No, that's true. I'm not big on reality in general, but these sorts of shows are more investigative and you actually learn something. So I think that's a, a much better way to pursue that genre. A- absolutely. I think... There's something about following someone who is genuinely out there trying to find answers. Like, and I think when I, when I watched the first season of Destination Truth, when they were asking me about it, I was like, well, I mean, Josh is, he's really, he's funny, he's talented, and he's really, he's out there doing it, you know? And that's the hardest part mm. is especially internationally because it is, it's really tricky. There's so many things that have to align to, to really do it right. Um, and he's found that secret sauce. So it was, it was exciting. It was great. I don't think I would do any other type of reality show. I've been offered since Destination Truth ended, which, you know, was, you know, 2000, now I don't even remember, 10 or 11. Um, I've been offered, you know, in the past seven or eight years, I've been offered dozens and dozens of shows where people want me to do X or Y or go here or go there or do this or do that. And it's never felt right. You know, I did um, one show for the History Channel and I'm doing one right now for Travel Channel. And, and they literally had to, 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 to kind of check a lot of boxes because I had been so happy with what we had done with Destination Truth, not so happy with Chasing UFOs. I think that was a really tough nut to crack. I think we did a good job. I think we could have done it better. Um, but, yeah, it's, you, 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 you want to be careful with quote-unquote reality, and you want to be careful saying yes to projects and putting your name on projects that you're not going to be proud of. And it's, it's hard now because you don't know where, what, you don't know where people, um, uh, how, how they, how they'll treat you. You know, I think in the long run, you just, 
you want to be doing the right, you want it to be doing right by the fans. And, you know, by the, the eyewitnesses and the people that you meet, it's so much fun. You have fun with it, right? Like I've met the kookiest people on the road in the entire world. You know, you meet people all the time that, you know, you, you're just like, wow, they really believe that happened to them. That is the most outrageous story I've ever heard. But at the same time, you want to do right by them. You know, you don't want to, mm. um, you know, you don't want to be just doing things just because it, there's a, there's a, there's a number that a network wants to reach. No, that makes sense. And with uh, with chasing UFOs, I didn't see any quotes that you put on it. But I know your co-host had some criticism about the show. Um, so, what are you know what are your reflections on that? Given what what they said, and it sounds like you weren't a huge fan of everything in terms of how it was done either. It's a tricky one, right? You you're when you because I helped this with the sale of that show, and so what we pitched was not what ended up on the screen. And I think that that's where, you know, James and Ben, you know, had their most issues with. It was what we wanted to do, what we, what we, what we all signed on to do wasn't what ended up happening. And that happens all the time, right? It's, you know, things happen. And at that time, National Geographic um, was getting rid of, of a whole bunch of different people. New people were coming in. The person that came in to run the show had his ideas about how it should go, and, and things changed. And, and that's, that's, that's the hard part about television is that there are checks and balances from above that you have to appease. Um, and so as much as you put your name on these things, you're also, you know, not the one getting the final say. And I think that was, that was hardest most for James because I think he – you know, had been doing this on his own for so long and finally, you know, thought this was the right avenue and just felt a little bit like he was just sold, a, you know, a false bag of goods, and which I, I, wish he, I wish he didn't say it in the way he did because I don't think he was mm-hmm. fully, he, didn't, he wasn't ashamed at what the show was. I think he just felt like it could have been better. And that's what we all felt like, you know, and, sure. and that's the hardest thing about this, right, is the balance between, um this wasn't just a straight documentary and that's 100% what he's used to doing. Um, and the network wanted, you know, X, Y, and Z. And when you start delivering on X, Y, and Z, you lost a little bit of that purity of what the original idea was. But that's, that's the, that's the hard part about television, television in general. I mean, you see all the time when people take a book and turn it into a movie, there's a lot of people that are purists to the book that are like, the movie totally destroyed that. And it was just a bunch of decisions from the top that changed little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. So by the time you see it on the screen, it's completely different than, you know, what you hoped it would be. And that just happens. It's just sometimes, you know, that, that happens. In that case, certainly I still think a lot of what we did was right. I just think, you know, it probably could have been better. That's all. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I remember when I first saw the preview for that, and the preview was a bit – elaborate strange i thought the uh the commercial where you're running around and um <laughs> yeah it's a little bit crazy but i mean i liked the show just because i like those sorts of ufo investigative type of programs but yeah i could see how it was flawed that's uh that's true For, from my standpoint I, I i thought when i was younger when i was first wanting to get into tv nat geo was like Right. That was, I mean, if I could be doing a travel show for them, that was going to be the pinnacle. That was what they did. And, you know, what they were doing was just so leaps and bounds above, you know, other programming. I was just like, that's where I wanted to go. So 
the idea that I was going to be producing something for them, I was going to be working on something for them, it just seemed so right, and it seemed like they would do things the right way. And unfortunately, it was just this bad time within the the group there where things weren't aligning. And, you know, there was just such a, a, a continental shift there that I think even they, you know, probably, you know, would do things differently had, you know, a, a bunch of other things, you know, been in place. So I still respect them. I still think they had the best interest of the show in mind, but I just, I think that there were just too many cooks in the kitchen maybe. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, honestly, you know, you think about what it goes into um, putting a show together from a, a tiny little kernel of an idea to, you know, getting approvals for someone to give you the money to actually going out there and shooting it to posting it and, and then marketing it. Right. Like, as you said, even the marketing for it was, was, was different, right. That all, you know, is, is, is a really long process. And sometimes it, you know, it takes years and years and in that timeline, people move and jobs shift. And so you're not always getting the same five people you had the the like-mindedness with and you were, you were just aligned and we're going to make the best show possible. All of a sudden things shift and, you have to make the best show you can with what you have. And that's, that's what we try to do. No, that makes sense. With Nat Geo, at least they still have some good programming. Whenever I check there, you look at history channel and that channel is a complete disaster. So, you know, it's a big difference, but. Um, you, you know, it's funny. Cause I, um, that's another one that made a huge shift from what they were doing, you know, this kind of pure history to, you know, these, you know, these, these shows that, that they find a very large audience for they're bringing in really huge numbers with these, these, these shows that they're doing, but just so far from who they were that I think it's, it's hard to, if you were a history channel purist, you're like, well, they went so far from where they were and where I was happy with the programs thing I, I was seeing, I have a feeling they'll return to that. That's me personally. It's all a cycle, right? People go out, yeah. they spend a bunch of money on these like really big budget projects. They believe their audience is all male, which is unfortunate for them because I think that there's a lot of women that were watching history channel. I was one of them. Um, yeah. And so now they're just catering to men and you feel this strange energy there. But again, that's another one where they kind of lopped off the top. There's all new execs there and they're trying things and they're throwing every, the landscape of television has changed so much from even when I first started um, with, with the advent of, of, of the internet and streaming service and, you know, people putting their own content up, everyone's kind of running scared. They ad dollars aren't there anymore. So you don't have the big budgets that we once had be as risky as you once were because a lot, you know, a lot of times that money is, is precious to them now because they're not getting it as, um, you know, as much as they, they once were. So people are working out of fear. I think when you're working out of fear, you can't be as creative and you can't take, you know, as many chances. You're going to like kind of say, what's that person doing? Is that making money? Let's do that too. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I always think they'll go back to the bread and butter and what they used to. That's, that's always my feeling. Uh, I would hope so. So you mentioned a few minutes ago, some of the interesting witnesses you spoke to. And there's one who stood out for me. I always wanted to talk to Edgar Mitchell. Um, I think his ideas were interesting at the very least. What did you think of being involved with interviewing him? And did he convince you at all about any of his beliefs? I I absolutely loved him. That was one of the, probably goes down as, as one of my favorite people to have met. And that was really, that was, that was all, all James Fox. I think James had that connection and really um, opened the door for us. Um, 
He's incredibly well-spoken. He's a brilliant man. Um, he's been, you know, places that, that we will never go. Um, and, you know, the epiphanies he's had from it, you know, are, are really powerful and they're really persuasive. I think, you know, he's a man that's, that's, you know, lived, you know, incredible lives and, and believes that there's something more out there. And it's silly not to, you know, you talk to him and you talk to, um, you know, other army generals and, and, and other, you know, pilots and, and, um, you know, people in these higher positions. And they also, you know, have, have these same stories. They have, um, incredible clout to them. There are people in high positions that have a lot to lose by, by saying this, and they're still the ones that get deep into these theories. And I, I, I think it's powerful. I think he's certainly someone that I respect and was, was truly um, happy to, to have met and talked to. Sure. No, and when you listen to someone like that, I think you have to take it seriously. And I'm, I'm inclined to believe some of these things, but at the same time, I also want to see just firsthand, like absolute undeniable evidence. But at the same time, with so many witnesses and so many stories, I think it kind of adds up to something. Uh, absolutely. I, I get it. Listen, you know, testimony is flawed at best. You know, I, I think we've we've seen time and time again, you know, that, you know, you can't, you, you, it's not science, but at the same time, when you start putting all the pieces together and you realize how many eyewitnesses, you know, multiple eyewitnesses for certain events, um, the timings and, 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 you know, what it co- co- coincides with, it's, it's just, it's, it's just really powerful. I think one, I'm someone that is, um, you know, very scientific. I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly careful you know, but I want to believe. And so it doesn't just, that doesn't, you know, kind of persuade my, um, you know, the way I lean, certainly I go in all of these, you know, kind of not convinced one way or another. I'm still not convinced one way or another, but it's, it's just, it's really powerful coming from these people where you think, you know, what did he have? I mean, he, here he is, you know, this, this, you know, on this pedestal, you know, why, put a chink in your own armor by saying these things if you didn't really buy into them, if you really didn't believe them, what would, what would be the point at this, you know, at this, at this time, at this juncture. So. Hmm. So with all these cases and conspiracies you've investigated, is there one that you've come to believe likely has some truth to it that maybe seems a bit outlandish or might've seen that way before? I, my, my, one of the cases that I think I feel pretty adamant that if we went back and we had more time, we could uncover something even more was uh, the Orang Pendek in Indonesia. It's um, a, a cryptid case um, about, uh, you know, a bipedal ape, um, a smaller form of, 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 of a Bigfoot um, or what we come to know as a Bigfoot. And the eyewitnesses were some of the best we've had. The area was so untouched by man that you had to think, that there could be something hiding there. You know, they had these trap cameras set up for years and even the trap cameras that they had set up all along the island weren't capturing things that they knew existed there. Elephants, tigers. Um, and so um, I think that felt, that felt like one where uh, I, left, I left very unsatisfied. I felt like there was something um, more there and certainly still wanting more answers um, 
than, than I've had at this time. But that's, that's one of the cases that I really felt strongly about. So if you had to place a wager on there being some sort of unknown animal that they think is a rank pendek, would you say yes or no? Uh, I would say I would say I would say it's likely. I would say it's it's highly likely that that there's there's something else there. And the the tough part in saying that is like obviously, you know, what are we what are we talking about? You know, it could it be you know just you know a a a, pri- a primate in the in the same primate family that is yet to be you know discovered? Is it you know kind of you know by blood very related? And we're not looking at something so uniquely, you know. I'm not looking at something maybe perhaps man-like as, as much so as, as people, you know, report the Bigfoot to be. Um, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say that I'm saying that this is a small Bigfoot. That's not what I'm saying, but it's really, it's one of those ones where you're like, there's something to this because there's always a basis behind these legends when you go there, right? you you know that there's something more. People are actually seeing something. They're photographing something. They're um, witnessing something. Um, what I don't want to do is just um, outright blanket and say that it's a small Bigfoot. I will say that what they're seeing, they describe as a bipedal primate, and I certainly think that there's something to it. Yeah, could be. I've heard of that particular one, although I don't know a ton about it. Something that I've seen more on would be something like you know, Bigfoot or the Yeti, something like that. But I think in that case, especially when you have Bigfoot and they're supposed to be in the Pacific Northwest and whatnot, it's hard to think that there's a large enough population in an area where there's been enough people wandering through that they could hide like this. And now I'm a bit skeptical of something like that. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you, if you talk about a population, certainly, you know, cause that's, that it obviously depends on, on the, 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 the creature, the, the, the mammal um, uh, is what dictates a population. But if you're looking at something like a Bigfoot, you're looking at 20, right. To sustain, um, you know, a creature in, in all sorts of different ways, shape, or forms. It doesn't matter that it's a, it's a quote-unquote solitary creature. There's still further to be, you know, it to have, you know, have evolved and, you know, be able to survive. There have had to have been others mating and, and, and such. So, yeah, so I think Pacific Northwest is, is a tough place. Like, I've, I certainly have heard a lot of incredible stories. I know a lot of really talented investigators that are out there um, that are looking into these cases. And so I can't say just, you know, definitively that there is nothing there. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I personally have seen a lot of things that I think other, if I told you, you, they, people wouldn't believe, right. You know, I think there's so much more about this planet we're on that we don't know than we do that it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. And, and when people start talking about things like, you know, um, it being potentially interdimensional or potentially being alien. I mean, there's a possibility for, for me, for all of that, you know, I think I just, I haven't seen the hard evidence of any of it yet, you know? Sure. And speaking of aliens, um, you know, what are your feelings on that subject? Are they visiting here? Have they been for who knows how long? Um, or are you just not convinced one way or the other yet? Um, certainly, I think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those like really old, I love everything about aliens and UFOs. I've just been eating it up since I was like little, the, the, the show project blue book is actually being um, written by my friend. And I'm so proud of him because it's one of my favorite, favorite um, parts of, 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 you know, this kind of quote unquote saga of, you know, 
disclosure and um, and the government looking into UFOs. I love it. I just I'm uh, another place you know where I I pin you know my hopes on wanting to believe. Um, I I haven't seen anything hard with my own eyes. You know, obviously there's a lot of little things here and there that add up and make it a very intriguing idea that we are, you know, I've I've seen some things myself, right? I've seen things in Stephenville, Texas um, that I actually um, shot on video, um, a a craft in the air lighting up in a very unique and, 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 and interesting way. I've seen things in Kazakhstan with multiple people um, you know, shooting through the sky like no, you know, craft I've I've you know ever witnessed with my eyes. Um, right. So so certainly I'm I'm one that thinks there's there's something to it. It's incredibly interesting. There's a lot of really high profile eyewitnesses that believe there's something there. Um, other countries, you know, who are you know better at disclosure than we are, believe that there's something else there. It's it's you know I I it's it's an interesting one. I. I just haven't seen, you know, solid, tangible proof that there, there, that there's actual creatures. I 100% believe that there's life beyond our planet. 100, there, that is, there's no question of that. Are they visiting? Are they coming? Are they mutilating cattle? Are they hmm. probing, taking samples, doing that? I, it's, it's, it's completely possible. Um, and certainly I've talked to people that believe that. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I love it. I think I think it's still to this day one of my favorite topics to to get into because I think um, we're close if that makes sense. Like I don't know why I just you know I've been talking to people and it just feels like it feels like something's we're on the cusp of something with it. I don't know. No, no, I hope so. So on the subject of aliens, are there any sci-fi genres that you're the biggest fan of? Star Trek, Star Wars, whatnot. Um, no, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a book geek. I, I do. I like, I love, I love, I love them. I'm, I Star Trek, like since I was little, like absolutely. I'm just not as like, I'm not into Like I'm not super into it. Like, I think there's like, you know, nerds out there would destroy me with their knowledge of it, but it's certainly fascinating. You know, I love, I love all of the, those, you know, Battlestar Galactica and, 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 and Dr. Who. I love, I love all strange, amazing sci-fi programming. I think it's incredibly entertaining. I think the people that write it are so talented. The people that put it together are, are beyond their years, you know, and I'll always watch it, but certainly I'm not, I'm not really good at being like a, a follower of it. Uh, probably the two I just mentioned. I like Battlestar Galactica too, obviously. I think Stargate is great. Um, if it's good and it's sci-fi, I watch it pretty much. So, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So the Sci-Fi Channel, I wish they'd have more of those shows nowadays. They don't seem to do it as much anymore. So I was I was um, working with a company. I was working with a company that helped put together the newest Lost in Space, and I was fascinated with all the work that went into uh, that reboot. Um, and um, and that was a really fun one to see come to life um, on Netflix. Um, yeah, I've watched that. Yeah. it's a bit different, but it's it's pretty good. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It does, it, nothing's going to touch the original. No, that's true. So uh, some other issues, um, ghosts and hauntings. Have you seen anything that convinces you to that, or, or what's your feeling on that topic? I think, I mean, if there's a more universal, global topic than ghosts, I don't know 
I don't know one. You know, it's mm-hmm. seriously, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter your religion, your background, you know, there's, there's, there's someone in your family, there's a friend or coworker that has seen or felt or heard something. And I think, you know, traveling to some of the most haunted locations of the world was really eye-opening for me. You know, I grew up in, um, in a, a place where my grandmother thought that her house was haunted. And, and as a young girl, you know, with a wild imagination like mine, I loved, you know, kind of being brave and exploring the attic in the basement. And I never saw anything and I never felt anything. And so going around the world, this was, you know, kind of one of, one of, one of my favorite topics. We went to, I mean, just off the top of my head, we went to Easter Island, Antarctica, um, Chile, China, um, you know, uh, Masada in Israel, uh, Namibia, like all these amazing, amazing places. Uh, Japan, the, that's probably, that's probably the, the first um, real experience for me was probably in the suicide um, woods at the base of Mount Fuji in Japan. That was the first time that I walked into a place and I felt a very tangible energy change um, that mm-hmm. people describe. Um, very negative, cold, um, uh, it, it was the first time I, I, I just, I felt it just off the bat. And then the things that started happening really just kind of, you know, started kind of validating a lot of that. We captured something on film there that was really strange. It was this, a, um, looked like this black form. At first, it just looked like this mist kind of coming up, kind of twists up, um, almost looks like something black and shrouded and then kind of went back down into uh, the earth. Um, I had some really bad night terrors leaving that place. It's a real kind of dark energy to it. And then um, when we were in the Philippines, we were looking into a creature or it's kind of like a, it's a spirit that also um, has a, a form that it takes. It's a, the Aswang, terribly named. Um, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong because it's um, Filipino, but the um, uh, a, a, a kind of a demonic spirit that inhabits people, but when it's walking the earth, it takes the form of a, a white cat or a white dog, and a lot of really strange things happen there. I was hearing these voices. I was feeling. I was. I was getting touched, and and um, uh, I was very uncomfortable. And leaving this small church that was said to be haunted, I walked outside, and there was a dog, white dog, just sitting there, staring at me, and the uh, locals refused. They were convinced that I was um, now the host for it and they wouldn't, they wouldn't ride in cars with me. Um, they wouldn't talk to me, feed me. And then eventually when I left, they all came to the airport with me to see me off because they were hoping that I was taking it with me. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> so. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Another show you hosted uh, was an online series called Myth Explorer. I don't know a lot about that other than it's related to King Kong. Uh, so what can you tell <laughs> us about that one? <laughs> that was fun. That was really, really fun. So I'm a massive, massive theme park geek. And Universal Studios being so high on that list, and they came to me and they wanted to do kind of this really fun, kind of disruptive viral campaign for the new ride uh, for Skull Island, the King Kong ride they were doing in Florida. And so they came up with an idea of a series where I was going out looking for um, King Kong uh, on Skull Island. And so it was a manufactured series with a lot of the same elements that you see in some of the other series that we do. 
um, but all in good fun to kind of, you know, promote and, and, and bring about new information and fun stories and, you know, kind of lead up to this massive event. And then I was there for the opening of the ride and we got to bring a bunch of fans and, and ride it together. And to just be a part of that history was just really beautiful to me. I mean, it's such an iconic, amazing movie. The fact that they redid the ride and it's a great ride. Um, I was one of the first people in there riding it, walking around, seeing the huge King Kong they had made, which was beautifully done. All of it was, it was, it was like a dream come true. It felt like we were shooting, um, you know, kind of this fun segment that was, you know, part of this really historical moment. And um, I love being a part of it. I felt a little bit bad um, because I wasn't able to tell everyone that it was a, a, a kind of mockumentary. That was difficult keeping that from people that, that, that I loved to just kind of keep with the integrity of the idea. Um, but at the same time, I think people forgave me once they saw it all and they saw it was in good fun. And, um, and, and I took a lot of my friends and family who I had to kind of keep the wool over their eyes. I took them on the ride, so they forgave me pretty yeah. quickly. That's great. But you didn't find King Kong, though, so that's a little disappointing. Disappointing, disappointing, but unfortunately, Skull Island does not exist, and so looking for King Kong in Orlando, Florida, was not where I thought I would find him anyway. <laughs> where was that filmed at, the, uh, the show? Uh, we were in the, um, in the swamps and, um, and uh, Everglades of Florida. Right. So um, looking ahead, you have some future projects in the works. You mentioned something on the Travel Channel. Can you elaborate on those a little bit? Yeah, I've been shooting a really fun um, anthology series called uh, Monster Mysteries. Uh, it doesn't have an air date yet. It'll be in the new year. Um, kind of revisiting um, cryptids that you know with new theories and evidence and new people that we're, we're talking to. So we do topics like Mothman and the Jersey Devil and Yeti and Bigfoot and Loch Ness. Um, but what they're trying to do is, is a, a, a deeper dive, a unique um, kind of perspective on these stories. It's like rehashing, um, you know, kind of classic monster stories with a new twist. And it's really fun. Um, I'm, 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 I'm happy to be involved in it. I'm excited to see once they start getting put together. But we just started shooting that one. And then I did a show on the History Channel called Unexplained, um, which was kind of a, a really fun look at conspiracy theories and the unknown uh, with, with some great people. It was uh, Jimmy Church was on that one with me, as well as Jael Depardo and um, a couple other really, really talented people. That was another cool ensemble um, kind of cast, and, and I did a couple one-offs for them on that. But I'm also working on a couple other things that I've yet to be, I, I can't divulge yet, but, you know, as soon as I can, um, you know, my fans and, um, you know, my social media would kind of be the first to know. Great. So Unexplained, is that a new series that's going to be on the History Channel? Or? Unexplained is a, is a series that has aired on the History Channel. They aired it internationally first, and it was called Breaking Mysterious. And then mm -hmm. it started airing on the History Channel. I, I'm sure you can find it on demand, uh, but it has since aired. And I know people have been finding it recently because they've been writing me about it. It's probably sandwiched somewhere between American Pickers and Pickers. So we'll find it. I bet. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
it was a fun chat and thanks again for coming on. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for, for having me. And, um, I, I, I truly appreciate what you do. I think you talk to some really talented people and I'm happy, happy to call myself amongst them. Great. Appreciate that. And we're glad to have you on too. So fantastic. Thank you. Right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye now. Okay. That was Aaron Ryder and that wraps our latest episode. Uh, once again, we'll be back soon with a new subject as always. And uh, until then, this has been AJ Bruno for the AJ Bruno show. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.